Welcome back to the Manufacturing Come Up. I'm your host, Malachi Greb, and today we have Matt McCarthy with T-I-N-E. Welcome. Glad to have you today, Matt. Hey, thank you, Malachi. Glad to be uh, here with you today. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't you go ahead and start off by uh, telling people kind of where you're at in your career. Yeah, so uh, so I'm I'm in the really in the profession of of sales. I've uh, uh, done a, a number of things to kind of arrive at this place. Uh, entered entered uh, into the uh, into the space that I operate in, uh, really in sort of a quasi sales operations type of role, and and eventually kind of got got drug uh, kicking and screaming into. Uh, into the field of sales, which uh, was was initially kind of intimidating, and uh, you know, I didn't quite understand it, but I knew enough about the product and the customers where it made sense, and I've uh, you know really uh, quickly found myself in my career in a number of of leadership roles, and have kind of kind of grown it from there, and just learned a, a tremendous amount as I've as I've gone along the way. So do you, you started out in sales or what, what did your initial beginnings look like? No. So, so actually, um, you know, I, I kind of randomly came into, you know, being, being in the industry where um, I was, I was going to school for, uh, for commercial graphics at, uh, at a, a university or at a, a college called uh, Midlands Technical College. And, uh, you know, and this really was just going to be a job to kind of pay the bills as I went. And, uh, uh, ended up turning into something that uh, that I, I ended up liking and, and found some some uh, some traction into. But no, I, I was uh, sort of an embedded on-site um, contractor at a mm -hmm. local paper mill where um, the company that I worked for was a company that repaired the equipment that was in there, and they uh, you know, they did enough volume out of there that it made sense to put a person on site that. That managed that sort of managed inventory and, and took care of all of the transactions of get taking a you know a broken piece of equipment a motor or a drive or something like that getting it shipped out you know getting it repaired getting it brought back in and making sure they had enough spare parts to uh, to awesome. run their production what is so like yeah what did that position kind of look like because that definitely is a, a pretty interesting role and I feel like it's actually pretty common with a lot of like your bigger companies out there like your lot of your your steel mills a lot of your like big Toyota manufacturers, they have a lot of on-site contractors full-time. They do, they do. And it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. It's, it's not, uh, I, I wouldn't recommend it for anyone that doesn't do well um, uh, without <laughs> lots of supervision. Because <laughs> uh, it's, you're, you're, you're out there on your own a, a good little bit. You know, your, uh, your company's remote. Chances are your supervisor is remote and uh, it's sort of a, you know, keep keep up with each other via phone, email, text, and things like that. But uh, yeah, you you wind up being sort of this ambassador for uh, you know on behalf of your company to the customer, and it's kind of interesting too because you'll 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 find yourself sort of hey, I've got two bosses here, right? Because I've got you know, I've got my company that that expects certain outcomes, and they've got certain interests here, but mm. I'm here to service a customer and. Uh, you know, and ultimately they've got to be happy as well. So, so that can be, that can be kind of interesting to make sure that everybody's uh, being well served in the, uh, in the relationship and, and to, and to sort of have that role at, a, at an entry level position when you're in your mid twenties is, is an interesting fence. Yeah, strategy, absolutely. So is that, is that kind of like a, um, what, like customer relationship management type of position or, or what exactly is that? Like? 
Yeah, I, I would definitely categorize it as, as that, but certainly, you know, that along with, you know, coming in there and being the subject matter expert that, that really knows what uh, and can, can advise the customer on what they need to do to, you know, to maintain an, an appropriate level of spare parts and, and make the, the best sort of sourcing decisions for, for the, the repairs that they need to do. And so from there, what was your, your next career transition? Yeah, from from there, I, um, I, I was probably in that for about 18 months and then found myself, um, you know, getting an opportunity to supervise uh, more people that were in that same role. So it was sort of a, a working leader, you know, supervisory position where, you know, previously I was just going into this one plant and now I would still run that one plant. I was able to hire an assistant and now I got to get out and travel and mm -hmm. get outside of just paper mills. And I got to go to steel mills and auto assembly mm -hmm. plants and engine plants and tire plants and very passionate about manufacturing. So being able to, to get out there and, and see all these different things was uh, a, a pretty good attractant for me as, right. a, as a young man, you know, wanting to, uh, to, to get some traction in the industry and, and see yeah, what absolutely. else is out so it there. Provide, it definitely provided like a, a, a ton of different exposures to, what's going on in the industry, different plants and manufacturing processes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I like to joke to friends that don't really get, you know, who aren't in the industry and don't really get what I do. I'll tell them, I say, you know, um, actually first and foremost, I'll, I'll just tell them I sell robots <laughs> and then they're amazed at that. But, uh, yeah, I do a lot more than that, but, uh, I, I would describe my work environment as, as if you ever watch the show, how it's made, yep. I get to do that every day of the week. And that's pretty awesome. You know, I get I get to see all the coolest manufacturing applications out there, and and uh, and sometimes even even yeah, get hands on the product. I think it's awesome that still to this day, like I walk into a manufacturing facility, I'm just still awed by, you know, especially when you see a line with 20, 50 robots on it, and like BIW lines, those are just impressive to see. Yeah, well, sure, and it's I mean it's definitely impressive to see to somebody that doesn't know what went into it. But if you do it, what I do or what you do for a living, and and it's so much more impressive when you realize what went into creating that that pretty big cell. Yeah, that does yeah, awesome absolutely. Things. So much engineering time that goes into it. So much, you know, just hard work and labor, creativity. Yeah, yeah. and creativity. Particularly on the on the integration yeah, absolutely. side, absolutely. Right? Because I mean, realistically, it all starts with the concept. From there, did you how did how did you transition to the next thing? Yeah, you know, from from there, it was really just uh, you know kind of you know staying in the same space, you know, managing these repair programs and, and just getting you know increased uh, responsibility. And then I um, I ended up making a, a change of employment, worked to worked to another company, and kind of did the same thing. They had the same programs, you know, they ran it a little bit differently. It was um, kind of a breath of fresh air because they, I, I think they were a lot more resourceful with what they had and how they thought about creating value for customers. So that ended up being pretty fun, but uh, yeah, I really only got to do that for about six months. And uh, a, a guy who was the sales manager in the company, I got to spend some time around him. He came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, you know, I, uh, um, we, we've got a guy who's leaving the company and he's covering your area. He goes, I, I think it's about time you get into the field of sales. I think you're, I think you're squandering some talent there and I'd like to see what you could do with it. So kind of, kind of took a leap of faith there from a place where I was pretty comfortable. Um, you know, I was, I was in a mid-level management role that, uh, you know, that was, it was fun and challenging, but, uh, I, at this point I'd, I'd done it, you know, over 10 years and, uh, it was, it was actually time to, to do something different. So yeah, I just, you know, 
just feet first, just jumped into uh, jumped into an outside sales territory and, and started just kind of honing my chops. Now, now, good thing for me is, uh, you know, was incredibly familiar with and comfortable with the product. Like I said, I'd already kind of been in quasi sort of sales role anyway. But uh, yeah, it was just a matter of getting out there and um, and, and taking that product knowledge and, and knowing how customers think about and what they you know what their needs are and just taking that out there and, and promoting it. I think uh, it probably one of the biggest challenges was getting out there and realizing just how much rejection folks that, that work in the sales space have to go to to get to a yes. Um, you know, once upon a time, I was um, I was assistant coach for my my um, my twin boys when they were in, in baseball. And one of the uh, um, I live in South Carolina. Um, one of the guys from the University of South Carolina's um, uh, national championship uh team they uh their coaches came down and, and talked to the boys and uh and he said hey let's talk about failure and i thought oh boy this is going to be good right he says uh he says you know what happens to a uh, to a professional baseball player that strikes out seven times out of ten and the kids are all kind of like what that sounds pretty bad they, he goes that guy goes to the hall of fame that's what happens he's a 300 hitter so I really kind of took that sort of mentality with me. I thought it was a great, and it was, it was right when I got into the space too. So it was like, uh, uh, man, what a great time to hear something like that and, and use that to realize like, yeah, man, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta endure a lot of no's on the way to, uh, on the way to some yeses there. And, and I'd encourage any, anybody, particularly in the, in the marketing or sales space to, you know, to kind of mull that over a little bit because, uh, yeah. Know, rejection. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what it is about our sales process, but like we don't really necessarily have to deal with the no's as much as we do with like just not necessarily winning an RFQ or, uh, you know, a customer not moving forward with the project. But definitely one of the things that I've experienced is like the number side of things. Like you, we just have to do way more numbers. Like if we, if we want to win, like I think we, like as of right now, we have a 10 to one ratio is what we kind of aim for. So if we want to win one order, we need to quote 10 projects. And and that generally puts us in a pretty safe uh, sure. ballpark to, to land at least that one order. And then sometimes we get, you know, lucky we land two or three of those orders or something like that. But generally the, the you know, you just have to keep that ratio in mind. And another thing that, that I found very, very valuable is like keep making shifts to, to what you're currently doing especially on like, so like, like I said, it's the winning the RFQs. That was, that was more of the challenge. So like making some shifts to like bump up that ratio and trying to focus on that. Like, what can I do to like, first of all, identifying like why our customers not buying. Right. And then, and then from there trying to adapt and, and make changes. So that way you, people are more accepting to, to purchase from you. Yeah, I, I think there when the way you describe it, I think there are two ways to think about that, right? Quantity or quality. You know, you can you could say, hey, I just got to get more leads and, and run more of them to ground or or you can look at the pivots you can make and go, OK, what is it about what I'm doing that, that maybe isn't resonating with the customer? Or maybe I'm not meeting the value they're looking for, whatever that looks like. You know, can I can I pivot and fine tune this and can I listen better to the customer? Can I be more consultative to understand what it is they need and to discover how, you know, how I can find a way to fit that, you know, into what I'm doing so that it makes sense for the customer as well as, as the company I'm working for. For us, it's, it's interesting because, you know, when, you know, you're talking about project oriented work, um, you know, yeah, that's, uh, 
that's a long way to the finish line, right? And, and yeah, you certainly need to have a certain amount of them and, and anticipate that a certain amount, you know, won't go through mm -hmm. for one reason or another. You know, I'm in, I'm in an industry that's far more kind of transactional in nature, right? I mean, we're, we're doing repairs and we sell spare parts for customers when they have, you know, machine tools and robots go down. Um, we, uh, you know, the number of leads and the number of sales we're pursuing needs to be a lot higher because, you know, we're not, you know, we're, we're not making sales in, in half million dollar chunks at a time, right? I mean, we're, we're literally making them yeah. $3,500 yeah. at a time. <laughs> so, uh, so it takes, takes an awful lot of them yeah. to fill yeah, that absolutely. It's like, kind of like relationally, it's almost equivalent to like profit margins and, and whatnot as, as, as similar to like a vehicle sale. Right. Some of your some of your pricings can be around that same those same yeah. prices and or maybe even like used vehicle pricing and whatnot, because uh, I actually spent like the first couple of years of my career doing robot refurb work. That's kind of where like I did my uh, initial like apprenticeshiping and and learning of uh, of robotic yeah. systems and whatnot. Yeah, that's cool. I, I think you just said something really important in there, too. And that is, you know, relationship. I mean, I, I think a lot of a lot of folks can get tied up in, you know, hey, am, am, am I putting something out there at the right price to win it? Am, am I doing all these things? But, you know, so many of the little nitty gritty things that win and lose jobs, you know, aren't don't have to be the primary consideration if you've built that relationship with a with a customer or client based on, you know, based on gaining trust. Right. I mean, because if you if you don't have that, then you really are literally into let's just sort of death by scope, right? I mean, let's just look yep. at every little nitty gritty thing and you know how it works. I mean, it's the customer's job almost to mm -hmm. kind of grind you down and, and, and get it as cheap as they can. But, uh, you know, if you build that relationship that, that says, hey, this job job I'm going to do for you is is bigger than just what you're going to pay for and what you're going to get. It's it's the fact that I'm, you know, I'm guaranteeing an outcome for you. That's, that's, that's really what I'm selling you is not, Thing. you know, a, a a five hundred one thousand yeah. dollar project <laughs> that that I could knock the buck off if I needed to. It's the fact that you need to, you know, you need to automate a line, and I'm going to help get you there by by concept and by partnership and and responsible sourcing and, and everything yeah. else you can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. That. I, that's been like a, a key shift for for like our sales process and for myself is just like <clears throat> before I used to not really call. I'd be like okay, we sent the quote, we'll let it sit for some time, let them look at it, whatever, right? And what I kind of realized is like almost doing like a disservice to not calling and saying, hey, by the way, we sent you the quote, just want to know if you had a chance to look at it or just, hey, we sent it to you, I just wanted to touch base. If you guys have any questions or concerns, feel free to, you know, it's like really it's like creating that openness and, and just like it's no problem because maybe maybe on their end they're they're hesitant to call you, you know? And so by creating that openness, now now they're much more likely to send you an email or, or, or call you to, to discuss the RFQ further. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and I think really where you, you know, where you kind of establish that that's going to happen is in the dialogue that leads up to the quoting event, right? It, it's not, you know, it, it's not something that goes unsaid and then you, you, you run the risk of, of looking like a pesky salesperson trying to chase down an order just because you want a commission. And it's more about, hey, listen. You know, you and I are going to collaborate on this and 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 there, it's going to result in a quote. And when that happens, 
you know, there, there are all sorts of ways that you're going to be able to interpret this. So, so expect that I'm going to contact you and expect that I'm going to want to talk through, you know, what I've given you and, and help you interpret it and, and anticipate that you're going to have questions, anticipate that you might want to change some things and, and tweak them out to be yeah. optimal for what yeah, you're trying absolutely. to do. And like, you know, even with something like with what you guys do, like, I'm not sure if you guys go through and like, we'll add options and stuff like that to the robots. Maybe you can clarify some of this, but something like that might be yeah. uh, a decision on why, why to buy or not to buy, you know, oh, oh, we didn't know you would install options for us. We, we bought this other robot because it had the options already installed. Yeah. So a hundred percent, it's kind of funny, you know, we, you know, we, we sell refurbished robots, right. And, uh, you know, in doing so, we're, we're going to market really trying to differentiate ourselves and say, hey, you know, you've got you've got new robots and everybody knows about new robots and you've got used robots for a yep. lot of people. That's question mark. Right. You know what we're what we're selling is a refurbished robot. And oh, by the way, we're going to have a, cons you know, a consultative conversation with you that says, hey, what's what's your application? You know, how are you how are you communicating back to a network? How are you planning to? you know, communicate from your control out to the end of the end of arm tooling. What sort of peripheral devices do you need? What sort of software do you need to run safety? I mean, these are these are all things that don't happen when you buy a used piece of equipment. So this really kind of comes down to a strong you know, differentiation factor that says I'm, I'm, I'm not just selling you something that's going to show up on a skid and then I disappear. You know, I'm, I'm here for the long haul. I'm gonna, I want to get you into what's going to work for you. And I'm going to you know, I'm going to I'm going to be by your side as you run that thing and as you go to production to make sure that everything's running good and you know what else can i do for you i'm not sure like what your your sales process looks like and everything like that but do you experience a lot of customers who are maybe not even have thought about purchasing a used robot we absolutely do yeah in fact that's uh, i i like to say you know we uh it's a good bit of evangelizing that we're doing out there right now and in the last you know the last 18 to 24 months has been a pretty interesting time. I know you're aware, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to get new robots and it all kind of came out of COVID and, uh, and some of the you know restrictions on manufacturing over in Asia. And it's just kind of rippled because at the same time, you've got this just staggering, you know, demand for robotics, not just in your traditional industries, but in all sorts of general industries and all the robot manufacturers right now will tell you what's booming for them is not automotive. It's, it's this category called general industry that is this bucket of, of everything else under the sun that everybody's racing to automate. Right. So, you know, so for us, it's been a really interesting last couple of years because, uh, you know, we've got customers out there that normally never would have considered a refurbished robot, but we've, we've had this window where you know, we can introduce the concept to them, but, because we've really professionalized the, you know, the uh, sort of the, the process of doing that. You know, we're, we're if, if you look at a scale that is used robot here, new robot up here, you know, we're, we're kind of 80% up the way to what a new robot looks like, you know, with, with the, really with the exception right. of being kind of the, the price, you know, we're, um, we're able to deliver even quicker, which has been uh, been pretty advantageous for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, with me starting my career off on like the used robot sector, the company I had worked for, uh, one of their game plans was to have a division uh, in used robots, right? And they, they didn't really pursue it strongly enough. They didn't de deploy a whole team towards it. I basically was the team. I was. They wanted me to be the sales guy, the repair guy, the everything guy, and. Uh, 
Yeah. I had one senior guy that was over me for a year and he was there after, but like he was kind of doing, doing other things. And so through that process, like I learned quite a bit about, you know, used robots and like kind of like the differentiating factor. So we were selling used robots too. We, so it, we were systems integrator. So it kind of made sense that like we'd be inside of facilities and sometimes we would trade work services for robots. Right. And uh, so sure. we'd bring those in, we would refurb them. I mean, some of them would just be a matter of like changing grease batteries, just your normal PM stuff. And it'd be kind of be ready to sell again and maybe just do some like joint, uh, uh, joint health testing and stuff like that. Just make sure all the joints and motors and everything are good. And uh Right. And in reality, like the for like the people out there, like thinking about used robots, one of the the biggest segregators, in my opinion, is the the software and and the and also the hardware that goes with the software capabilities. Right. So like, for example, like most of the systems that we deploy, we're doing Ethernet IP everything or at least everything that we potentially can. And uh, and also CIP safety. Right. So uh, but just like at least the Ethernet part of it. So like we would want our robot to be able to have like Ethernet capabilities. So as long as you get like a robot that has like a new enough software version or can be updated to a new enough software version, then realistically, I mean, you're going to get such a long life out of that robot that uh, it's very equivalent to a new one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the name of the game is value add, really. I mean, you know, because like I said, you can you can buy a used robot. The problem with that is that that used robot has been configured for the original owner, mm. and, uh, and and that's that may not be what what the new owner is going to do. So it's all about building it to the spec that they need it to. And you know when we say integration ready, you know when that thing shows up, it's it's shipped there. You know it, it's ready to start installing and, and integrating into you know communicating with your local PLC, communicating with your safety devices. You know all all of that, but uh, yeah, it's and your your point's well taken. I mean, every everything that we ship out, we uh, we relicense from a software standpoint, and uh, and we've got a uh, we've got a standard package that is the uh, is the motion package uh, from Fanec, mm -hmm. and uh, everything every single thing we ship's got Ethernet IP adapter on it, unless the customer wants to you know uh, upgrade to a scanner or upgrade to the uh, advanced package. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that that advanced package is kind of a go-to package. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That that one in advanced DCS. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, like I don't want to get too much into like that that side of things, but I think yeah. <laughs> it's it's super valuable. Uh, it opens up so much future future tools as as like we progress into more technologies and things like that, and also remote services is a big big side of it. Absolutely. So as of right now, kind of where do you see your? Or first of all, let me step back a little bit. When did you land your position with TIE? Yeah. So so I came over to TIE in uh, in 2016. I had been uh, um, uh, senior sales leader at uh, one of our competitors and. Had a pretty long run there. I'd, I'd been there for eleven years, and and I had, uh, you know, felt like I had done pretty much what I could do there, and was ready for a new challenge. I uh, I really appreciated, you know, everything. I, I you know, it, I, I did a lot of growing there. I mean, I I, I kind of came in at a mid level management role. I got to do a lot of really cool things there. I got to be involved in a, a lot of a lot of growth, and I got to lead through a lot of growth, but. Uh, I was just kind of ready for a new challenge, and I um, uh, I, I knew TIE a little bit from the uh, just being a, a competitor that was out there, but they didn't really have any any much of any sales you know coverage or effort to speak of, and uh, 
I, I actually was, uh, was, was working between the companies to, to, you know, have a little bit of a partnership there. Um, and, uh, and got to know the guys at TIE and they, they informed me that, uh, um, uh, they were, they were changing some things up in their leadership. And I said, Hey, it's maybe a good time to bring this up, but I've always kind of been surprised that, uh, that you guys aren't, aren't putting a much of a sales effort into the field. You know, I, I, mm. um, I could, uh, I, I could help you with that. I've got a vision for it. And for me, it was like the, you know, I, I, I'd led, you know, a pretty big sales team, but the notion of creating one from scratch was incredibly attractive just from, yeah. uh, you know, an opportunity to be creative, an opportunity to build something that wasn't there and to do it in a company that I recognized as, as being, you know, from my perspective and in my space, really one of the best kept secrets out there. So, yeah, and I, and I'd certainly say to anybody out there that's listening, particularly early in, earlier in your careers, don't think that, you know, that the entire job market exists on Indeed.com or, or LinkedIn or anything like that. I mean, mm. there's there's a lot to be said for networking and literally creating your own your own future there. And that's that's kind of really what I'm in the middle of here. And it's been a it's been a great it's been a great run. It's been a fun ride. And uh, as, as I've built a team over here, you know, bringing folks in that that have, have been able to you know achieve things that, that they've not you know, achieved in their careers, you know, by, by way of sort of enabling them, um, from, a, a standpoint of how they can take the company to market and, and, you know, kind of what their, their personal rewards are out of that. So it's all, uh, all been great. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, the, the finding job opportunities outside of like indeed is, is super, super, uh, powerful and important. Like I literally landed my job through just discussion and one of my professors being like, Hey, I actually know somebody. And that landed me a job right. with systems integration that I spent uh, my entire career at before starting Elite, essentially. And uh, so those those you know potential opportunities, like multiple, I think every person that ever started working at that company uh, did not come from a job posting. They came from I went to church with this person. I you know what I mean. I know this person from somebody's baseball team. Like uh, it's it's extremely important to to keep those conversations mm -hmm. open. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that in our business because I mean it's it's a business that started in the in the founder's garage and and kind of grew from one building to the next and uh, yeah along the way you you've got to find people and you know and, and Nashville Tennessee wasn't necessarily you know rife with people that uh, that were experienced working on fan controls so you know a lot of it was was you know kind of recruiting people into the business and and teaching them the business so yeah a lot of a lot of friends and family kind of kind of thing in, in our business for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, one thing I also think that I see a lot too is systems integrators, at least a majority of them, don't have huge or if any uh, sales team. Like you said, how you came into this company and, and essentially built up the sales team. A lot of these companies were a guy that started in the garage, you know, hired some people over time. At some point got enough repeat customers where, you know, those same repeat customers, maybe it's one, two, three, five, how many ever that may be. Maybe it's a, a circle of 10 and those same ones just keep coming back and kind of the company just organically grows like that over time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I tell you, I mean, I, I don't... Uh... I, I don't envy, you know, the, the startup integration company because it's so it's so tricky because, you know, you, you really your founder really has to be both both engineer and salesperson to get that off the ground. Because if you're trying to, you know, you're trying to start an integration firm 
that doesn't have any backlog and you're trying to pay an engineer and a sales guy as well as some support staff, yeah. you're going to be eating beans for a while before that first, you know, for that first PO cash. Oh, yeah. Right. So it's, uh, it's tough. And I think it's, I think it's, there's been, there's been a fair amount of failure in that space. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there's, and there's been, you know, some, some strife for people before they, uh, before they make yep. it. And, uh, and as you know, there's a lot that can go wrong early on in an integration job in an integration company that uh, that can have some lasting effects. So I uh, those are those are folks those that are true entrepreneurs and and true risk takers. And I, I've got a I've got a tremendous amount of respect for them. Well, thank you. I'll I'll take some of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. Like it. That's I would not advise somebody to to choose this as like a first business venture, especially to go full on system integration. I would take whatever niche that they have, like if they were a programmer at first, or if they were a mechanical engineer at first, that they do that as a service. And then, and then after gaining some traction, then start trying to dive into bigger applications, maybe bringing on some more engineers. Cause one thing with like that, so whenever I started this company, one thing that I, I had to do for myself was I had to break myself out of a nine to five mentality. Right. And so I had a fear of like going back to the nine to five. I had a fear of like, the, the other thing was like, if I did contract work that I would get comfortable with that money, like, you know, making 65 up to $155 an hour, like close to 10 X what my salary was, or, or, you know, at least 20 X or something, or what would that be? three or four or five X, something like that when my salary was. And uh, at those points you can get very, very comfortable and just be okay with that. And uh, whenever I started the company, I, I had vision for like this to grow, to become one of the largest companies in the world and still have that vision. And so like I was concerned with getting comfortable. I knew that I knew that I could potentially get comfortable and then never pursue like those dreams. Absolutely. That, that makes a ton of sense. And, and I think uh, I, I think we all in various ways, whether an entrepreneur or not, can get challenged with that. Right. Where, you know, do you do, you do what's comfortable or, or do you undertake some risk there because you see a bigger picture than you know, than than getting by or being comfortable or, or whatever? And uh yeah, and, and, and candidly, in, in the integration space, even even in the industrial repair space, there are all sorts of there are all sorts of companies that you know they exist, they they employ a handful of people, but but they hit a certain level and they just never get over that wall. Right. And, and I think I think it's got everything to do with what you describe of being comfortable and not pushing those mm -hmm. boundaries, not not pushing not pushing the people that are in your business to to be you know bigger than they have been so far. Yep. I think one of those challenges too is uh, uh, this was said to me by a guy who owned a company that I used to work for. He said, you know, the, the people, the people that got me, cause he started this from kind of nothing. Said, so the people that got me to 5 million in revenue weren't the people that could get me to 10 million. And along the way, I kind of had to make adjustments because they, yep. you know, they, you know, they were they were small company people and they couldn't make it to the big. So that's that's another challenge of, you know, as a, as a business owner, how do you bring people along? And if you so you're talking about, you know, you being you being comfortable as a business owner, same thing happens with employees. So I think that kind of comes down to business culture there. Yep. How do we how do we all collectively push ourselves out of our comfort you know, safely, but but comfortably yeah. out of comfort zone. Right. And, and, and that's part of, of kind of 
culture and encouragement we all mm -hmm. have for one another and accountability. Yeah. And I think also too, as a business owner that like, say first, like you're talking about, you know, what got me from like 5 million to 50 million or five to 10 may not be the same people. I think a lot of that also is like within the business owners, uh, their, their mind and like they're hiring. So like, you know, right now, like if I'm hiring people, I'm hiring people thinking about the position that we're currently in and not necessarily for the, for the future. And, and like, also like, this is one of the big mistakes that I had made was uh, kind of just hiring people to fill positions and looking for skill and not putting enough emphasis on like culture and like vision. So like a big thing is like, here's the shift is like now in interviews, I'm telling people like, this is not going to be an easy place to work. This is going to be hard. This is going to be, we're going to be, you know, striving, we're striving to become the biggest, one of the best, like, you know what I mean? Like this is the culture that we have a very outgoing culture. And if this is not necessarily what you want, then this is not necessarily the company for you. Um, and it's just a matter of us not necessarily being a fit. And firstly, you don't have those conversations and, and still now I don't have as much as I should, I guess. Right. Cause I personally don't want somebody to spend multiple years with us to then decide like, Oh, like this isn't going to be a fit for me. Or on the other hand of like, you know, the, you know, within the first year of business, like getting kind of beat up and like as the owner, me, right. Getting beat up, just like trying to sell and trying to engineer and trying to do all these things and being overworked. That like at some point you're kind of like you're kind of just trying to grow and survive and uh and, and and your vision can get lost so now all aspects if, if the company owner's vision I, th I think a company and all the people within the company are whatever the owner's vision is and what they portray to and and, and um show as an example to their employees and if they're not doing that then it just ends up being randomly whatever occurs yeah look I, I i think the strategic companies and strategic leaders are are thinking you know it, it's like a chess match right i mean you're you're thinking three five moves ahead you're not thinking about now and i and i think you know relevant to to what you talk about in your podcast here often is you know the the notion of people entering the workforce and and all that so as, as people who hire you know you do it i do it I'm not, I'm only, I'm only partially buying what a person is today. I'm, I'm buying into what they can be, right? Mm -hmm. What, what I can glean out of my time with them that I think they can do if I can get them into my system and I can get them into the culture of my company and doing what we do. Um, been, uh, been largely successful with that, but you know, that's, that's not just a me effort. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's me up to our CEO and that's everybody else in the company embracing a collective culture that is, you know, that, that is excellence and that is we, you know, we challenge each other to be, to be more, to be bigger, um, you know, to grow there and, and, and not just be, you know, what you, what you walked in the door as, right? Yeah. So that's, you know, we're, we're the, uh, um, we're, we're butterflies, right? <laughs> Come in as caterpillars and, and we, you know, we all hope to grow wings and, and be pretty. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And another thing too, that I've recognized is that like you yourself, are not ready for certain things at certain stages of, in your career. And, you know, a, a perfect example, like one, like, you know, what you're doing now, like if you said, Hey, do that, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it may be. Right. You might be like, Oh, well, I don't know if I had the capabilities to do those things. And like, you know, one thing that I see now is like whenever the owner of the company I was at, they were, you know, wanting me to run the, their refurb uh, side of their business. I wasn't where I, I wasn't there, right? They were expecting me to do something and I wasn't there in my career and my skill set, confidence, all different types of things, right? To be able to take that on and, and, and run with it, right? Whereas like, 
a today me or today like you could go into that same type of position and be able to run with it and turn it into multi-million dollar business. And it's just something that, you know, it's timing, right? Like you have to gain the certain amount of experiences to uh, be ready for certain positions within the company. Well, there's, there's no doubt. And, 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 you know, inevitably people wind up fighting the, you know, the, the notion of impatience in there, right? Mm -hmm. I, I dealt with that in my career as well. I mean, I, you know, the first time I got into a, you know, a senior executive role was, was in my thirties and, I was, you know, I, I still had some maturity issues to, to be what I really needed to be in that job. And, you know, and when I, when I got confronted with those, I, I, I found myself getting a little bit impatient about those. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and I can look back on those things now and go, yeah, I mean, I, I did a good job, but man, it's, it's the old adage. If, if, if I knew then what I knew <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah, you know, golly, how much, how much different could those things have been? And, uh, yeah, but I, I think when uh, when when you're on a good career path, I do think that there's there's some there's a lot to be said for being patient. You know, I mean, challenge yourself, right? But but be patient to understand what you have in your toolbox and what you don't. And rather than focus on you know focusing on you know not getting some kind of opportunity, focus on on building that toolbox out and recognizing, being honest with yourself about you know where you do have shortcomings working on refining those things so that you can get that opportunity when the time comes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like to, uh, I, I'm not sure what you'd put, how you put the word to it, but like, like for me, I always try to be like adaptive, right. And, 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 you know, ready to make a change because like one, I'm, I'm young for being a, a CEO and I know the version of me mm -hmm. as a CEO. Cause I'm thinking like, like this is kind of why I got kind of excited about like, you know, talking about like where you're at, in your career because the me today won't even be the same me that I need to be to be able to operate us at $50 million in revenue or $100 million in revenue. Like the me, if I want to continue being CEO, I have to make some major adjustments. I have to spend much, uh, a ton of extra time, like educating myself and I mean, really that just educating myself, adapting myself, changing to be able to, to be ready to take on the next step. And uh, I think, anybody in their career like if they if they want to become something in their career if they can train themselves and educate themselves for like whatever that next step is that it's going to highly uh accelerate and propel you into whatever you want your next career step to be yeah I, I, so i think there, there are two you know two components i'd add to that one is you know in in a, in a senior role like yours you know you you need you, know, you need leaders, you need strong leaders around you that challenge you to do that, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're very driven on your own, but, but leaders, leaders that even though they're, you know, they're working for you would challenge you to do things you haven't done before, yeah. right? That winds up being critical for the, you know, for the person who's not necessarily, you know, outright leading a company, you know, what winds up being critical, and this would be my encouragement to anybody who's watching this and, and, and trying to, to climb the, the ladder that is their career, is get hooked up with people who will mentor you. Because mm -hmm. I, I tell you what, I, uh, you know, I, I, any of us who are successful certainly, you know, will, will point to, you know, ability, skills, drive, those sorts of things. Those are ours and those are kind of uniquely ours. But man, I owe so much to, people that mentored me along the way who took an interest in me and, and, you know, poured into me things that I needed to know. Um, you know, I, I've got this, I've got this ambition for when, when I hit retirement age, I don't feel like I want to get out of the business. What I want to do 
I want to hang out and and I want to emulate this guy that that was was you know really spoke into my career early on. This was this was a guy named Bill DeBow. And, and anybody who who used to work with me at this one company will remember Bill DeBow because he was a crazy uh, <laughs> crazy senior statesman of the company. He just he didn't need to work. The guy was pretty well set for life. He'd done really well, but but work was his boys' club, and, and you know, and to not work was to feel excluded mm. for him. So he hung out and, you know, and yeah, sometimes he was just kind of hanging out and, and, and making trouble or whatever. But one thing that Bill did was Bill took an interest in people and he took them under their, under his wing. And uh, so this was a company in, in Detroit and I was, I was working remote, but anytime I would come up there for meetings or whatever, whether he took me out to lunch or whether he just kind of found me in an office or something, Bill always, and, and I didn't reach out and tell him I was coming. He knew I was coming. Really? He would come find me <laughs> and go, all right, let's talk about what's going on here. And how are you thinking about this? And have you thought about that? Here's potential pitfall for this. I'm like, what an awesome guy, man. He, he, he doesn't owe me Jack, yeah. but he's investing in me because he cares about the business and he cares about people that yeah. you know, he's hired in the company. So that's my ambition is to, to do that. You know, when, when I'm beyond wanting to, to do the heavy lifting, I want to hang out and make sure that, that there are opportunities for people because I do think that's missing in, in business. Now things are moving so fast yep. that it's, it's more and more difficult to find time to, to mentor people and to invest in. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like dirt, like in the past, like there was more of like a stage of like retirement and people phasing out of retirement and, and like, like you said, pouring into people. I was like really lucky that, uh, the company I'd worked with, I was doing like the robot refurb work that, one of the, basically they had brought an employee on that was a, uh, did industrial maintenance. They were like 70 years old, retired. Um, and, and so like this guy was very meticulous. It was actually like one of those, I was, I was that young junior where I was like, kind of always pissed off. He was, always, he's, he was so meticulous. Like this tool goes right there. That one goes right there. That one goes right there. And me and him completely disliked each other for like the first year that we worked together. Right. And, uh, he would right. go to the office and, and he would tell about how I'm doing this. And I'd go to the office and I'd say, I can't, I can't handle working with this guy. And we ended up being like best friends. I mean, like he was like my guy, my mentor, like, so like, it was just awesome. Like how it kind of transitioned from like being young, frustrating to frustrated to work with them to like, I want to spend every second that I can with this guy because he knows his things. And, uh, yeah, that was the super valuable experience that was kind of similar to yours. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and and I think one of the challenges in the workspace today, when you think about sort of that that incubation period for, for new people coming into the company, it's 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 not a whole lot different from professional sports where, you know, a guy signs a big big rookie contract and they expect, you know, production, whatever it is, right, <laughs> in, in that sport. They and, and we, we, we handle it that way in business too, right? We, we bring a new salesperson on like, you better start producing. And it's like, wait a second, there's some, there's some setup time here. There's a learning curve here. And, and, and whether you're in sales, whether you're in you know, operations, engineering, whatever it is, um, that, that incubation period seems to be getting shorter and shorter and, and, and not in a good way. So, you know, again, that encouragement for anybody, you know, whether, whether you can provide mentorship or whether you, you know, if you don't have it, you should seek it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
that's what I really, really push is like people to, to like to grab mentorship, especially if it's like feels like it's something you don't feel comfortable doing because like that, the, one of the, the things with starting this podcast was like selfishly was I was one of these, I was one of these individuals that like struggled with a lot of things in my career through like not feeling confident about something or not feeling comfortable with doing something like mentorship was one of them, right? Like all the mentorships that I, that I had had were definitely a organic type of mentorship and I never really pursued I mean I was always very like questionary and always asked a lot of questions so I got a lot of mentorship through that but I never really like was went to somebody and said hey like I'm trying to learn this thing can you help me learn this thing and like them really like kind of walk me through that process and it would have helped I think it would have helped accelerate some of my knowledge and it, it especially would have relieved like a lot of stress because like even as like a controls engineer whenever I had like other engineers available that I could have like asked for help with like i would sit there and just hard learn everything like reading through documentation google forums like doing a lot of hard learning that i probably could have done just by you know going to somebody and asking asking them for help yeah no absolutely and 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 the, the funny thing is you know it, it's it's out there with your colleagues with your leaders it's out there and usually it's it's free for the asking you just you just have to have the courage to ask for it and you know like one of my sons is like not a question asker and, and it's drives me up the wall. It's like, dude, ask me the question. You know, don't, don't make assumptions, right? Cause you're wasting your time doing it this way. And there's, there's merit to both. I mean, you know, you, people do, you know, everybody learns their own way. Some people learn the hard way. Some people learn the easy way. Um, I, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for a little bit of both, mm. but, uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think a, a real key though is, is, you know, sometimes, some good mentors will go out of their way, like like Bill DeBoe did with me, and, and he's certainly not the only one. But but go out of their way to come and approach you, and you know, and, and offer that mentorship, and maybe not even formally, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, you're necessarily your manager or anything, but somebody that will, you know, somebody you can bounce stuff off of. But but as the person who needs the mentorship, you know, if somebody's not not willingly pouring that into you right now. You know, for God's sake, you got to go find somebody and ask for yeah. it, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think you just think you're crazy not to. Yeah. What one other little trick that I'd have, I'd add is like find creative ways to ask questions. So this follows more of the mentorship that I that I went through. Uh, find creative ways to ask questions that don't feel like you're trying to figure out how to do the thing, right? So because like right. I'll give you some examples of where I, I had worked with some guys and. It was kind of like one of those situations where they don't want to share their knowledge, right? They're being very reserved of their knowledge. They want to hold on to it, like those, like those type of people. And uh, I, what I found is like I'd find like really creative ways to ask questions where like, let's say, for instance, they're, they're thinking in the mindset of like, this person's trying to steal my job. They're trying to become better than me. Like they're thinking in that way. So I'm thinking about how do I ask this question in a way where it doesn't come off like that at all. Like, oh, that's, that's really weird. Like, how, how, why do you do that like that? Or what do you, you know what I mean? Like, and it's like kind of just, if you word it in a different way, then like, they'll be like, they'll give this answer and then you're like, okay, yeah, got you. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a prosecuting attorney trying to get an answer out of somebody. And Hey, if I just ask it a different way, I'll get my answer. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for kind of the, you know, the, the discovery there. And, and, you know, and I, I think just kind of laying yourself bare a little bit too and going, you know, look, I, I'm not going to try to pretend like I know this stuff, but, you know, and, and, and I'm not going to ask you directly because it's going to make you feel threatened, but I'm just going to, I'm going to have an open dialogue with you and talk with you about it. 
Yeah, I like to think eventually, you know, people like that, you can you can chip away at them. I view customers that way too, right? Yeah. There are a lot of, you know, there there are a lot of customers that that just really get their jollies out of out of giving salespeople a really hard time. And, you know, I, I've I've been cussed out up and down, side to side, out there in the field. You know it. I mean, this is a rough and tumble business, but uh, you know. I, I think when you demonstrate, hey, I'm not going to go away and, uh, you know, I, I believe in what I'm doing enough that I'm going to keep enduring <laughs> your beatings. Right. You know, eventually they'll relent and go, all right, what do you, what do you really yeah. want? What can, what can we do? If you wouldn't mind, what are some of the or what is a key thing that has helped uh, helped you in your career? You know, I, um, I, I'll tell you, I, I preach this to my sons and I, I feel like I've, I've gotten them both following this and what they're doing and I'll I'll I'll. I've said this to people that I'm mentoring. I've even said it to people that I've had to I've had to let go. I I can't say enough about harnessing your passion and and getting into something that you can be passionate about, something that gets you out of bed every morning and and it's got something new and exciting for you every day. Whether whether that's a challenge or whether that's a reward or whatever it is. I think passion is is so critical. And I mean, not just, you know, I mean, I, I think it goes from the interview process. You know, I, I would say that to anybody who's who's out there interviewing for a job that they want, you know, as, as somebody that conducts interviews, you know, I want I want to know that you're chomping at the bit to do this. And I mean, in a genuine way, don't fake it because because most of us doing interviews have, have, have seen the faking. But if you've got a real passion, don't be afraid to let that out. You know, it's, it's, it's not uncool to be excited about something you do at work. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, for the individual finding, finding ways, if, if there's something, you know, it, maybe, maybe it's not, uh, maybe your job is not a, a situation where you're hundred percent passionate about it, but there's something about it that does inspire a lot of passion in you hone in on that, find ways to do more of that. If you're looking for a career, um, don't 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 skip an opportunity to to get into something that you're passionate around. Good example is this. You know, I, I just randomly got into this business. I just literally was was answering a one ad while I was in college. Right. And and, and found my way to staying in this. And I, it's like the godfather. They suck me in. Right. But uh um, but here I am. I developed a, a passion for customer service. I developed a passion around industrial automation. I feel very fortunate that way. But if I if I knew at 20, I'm a musician, by the way, if I knew at 20 that I would that I would have that I would discover in myself the, the, the ability to sell, I would tell you that I would work for Fender or I would work for Gibson or I, you know what, I would work somewhere in that space because I would say, hey, I can do this. And I love that product. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to be really good at that. I, and I'm going to have a lot of fun doing it. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah one, one of my sons was uh, really trying to figure out how to go through all that. And, and we ultimately determined, you know what, police work is going to be what what does it for him now? You know, scares me half to death that he's going to go do that. But I'm also very proud of him because I think it's very noble and something we need out there. Right. But uh but he's he's going to find satisfaction. And even though it's let's face it, it's not the greatest paying job, he's passionate about it. And if he gets in there and, and he and he harnesses that passion, there'll be opportunities for him to make a good living in that because he's going to get promoted. He's not going to be a beat cop forever. Right. He's, he's going to 
he's going to go on to do more exciting things and, and have progressive levels of responsibility, which I think most of us are seeking out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Being passionate, I think is, is super, super important. This industry for me, I, I, it's definitely my calling as well. I really don't know what I, what I would do outside of what, you know, robotics automation. I mean, maybe it's cause I tasted it and now like that's, that's like really all I want. But definitely, like I love the diversity of it. I love every every aspect of it. Really, everything. Every day is a new challenge. You get to experience new things every day. Like, and I think that whenever you identify like these these things that you're passionate about, like you said, you would have made the, the shift to maybe go sell, uh, you know, musical equipment and whatnot. Like, if you can just identify those things that that really make you passionate, or or like find the thing that you're passionate about, and then find like businesses that are around that. Maybe it's, maybe it's, you, you go work yeah. for like a drum manufacturer. We were actually watching like some, you know, manufacturing videos. I, I, that's how I spent a lot of my time is like, I'll watch manufacturing videos and it's like content or like just documentaries, like anything. Right. Or just random like manufacturing videos, but I was watching like a documentary style one before and uh, they were building drums and stuff. Right. And so like, that's a really cool creative way, like for, if there's a thing that you like, like if you like electronics, maybe you could work in a electronic manufacturing facility and then you get to see how the electronic device is built and, and see the chips going in it and, and, and all the processes that are revolved around, you know, making that product. And uh, it could be a creative way to get your, your foot in the door with whatever you're already passionate about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and I would, you know, for somebody, you know, I've got a, I've got a sales bent obviously, but I mean, I, I would say, you know, my, my son who ended up before he ended up making this decision to go into police work, he, uh, he was varsity golfer, you know, shooting the, shooting the mid seventies. And I'm like, you know, but he wants to sell he's personality guy. Right. So I'm like, you know, you should maybe find a way to sell golf equipment or, you know, uh, he, he was also, he, he worked in construction. I said, you know, maybe what you need to do is, uh, is go out there and, and, and get a degree in construction and work in it a while and then move your, move yourself over to the sales side, which is how a lot of people actually come into the sales side of the business is they, they get in. And if you, you want know, to talk about, you know, automation, a lot of the guys that can sell automation once upon a time, did programming or they did refurbishment work or, you know, what, whatever it may yeah. be, but, uh, but they did, they did the, the nuts and bolts of the business and really learned it from the ground up. And as a salesperson to, to already have the, the technical stuff built in when you're selling something that's technical, oh my gosh, oh, yeah. then, then, then you just have to learn the, the sales part. And I'm, I'm a big believer that people, because a lot of people think, oh, sales, you know, you, you have to do Sandler Institute and you have to have all this formal training and all that. If you know the product and you're passionate about the product and you can educate yourself on what the customer's needs are, you can do really well. Yeah. And in, in, in fact, you, you might you might do a lot better than really well. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people do it. And been, I've been fortunate to be a part of, of, of leading folks like that. <laughs> it's super powerful to, you know, take like you said, the nuts and bolts of uh, learning like that engineering facet and then being able to transition that into sales because it makes that that process so much easier. And then after, once you converted to sales, like if you're just a people, a personable enough individual and and really I think a big thing is being kind, right? Like one of the biggest things that has, has propelled me is like be kind, always add more value to people than than. Uh, anybody else around you so like 
if you think in those type of ways, like then you're you're face to face with your customer and and if you're trying to add more value to them than you're taking for yourself, something about your dialogue changes, something that, you know, your your posture, everything about you kind of just changes to to be more you say, relatable, like you just sell better, right? Like th- to be honest, those are the things that have saved me. Like I still can't sell if 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 you call it that, right? Like when it comes to like hard sales, I'm just, I'm not good at that whatsoever. Like my only version of, of sales is just like trying to do the right thing, like knowing, knowing products and like kind of knowing the direction that we're trying to go with our company. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I tell you that when, when I got pulled over into sales, uh, the, the guy who mentored me there, um, we went out, we started making sales calls and he's taken the lead. And he's going to he's going to show me the ropes. We go and we do our first appointment. We go in and we talk to this guy for an hour about everything that you could possibly imagine, except our product and our service. And we walked out of there and I said, hey, so that was fun. But, you know, but when do we get around to selling something? He goes, you'll get there. He's the most important thing we needed to do today was make a connection with this guy. You know, he's you know, he'll, he'll buy something from you eventually because you had a great conversation with him today. You know, you sat around and you and you talked, you know, this guy had uh, this guy had University of Tennessee volunteer stuff everywhere around his office. We talked about football. We talked about his kids because he had pictures of his kids there. We talked about everything that was important to him to get him to, you know, to realize that we took a personal interest in him. Yeah. Right. And, and to go, hey, there's there's more there's more to this than dollars and cents mm. now. You know, not not every single salesperson out there is genuine about that. But I would say to anybody that wants to be successful, you should take an interest in in somebody that you're going to deal with. Right. I mean, as much as you would a colleague, treat a customer like that, get to know them, get to value them and, you know, and build that relationship on on trust. And, you know, I I say this all the time. If you're doing all the right things, money will follow. But if but if you're if you're putting money up there as the very first thing. Customers will sniff that out in a heartbeat. They're not going to trust you. And, uh, you know, and, and, and maybe in the end, you're not trustworthy in the first place. Who knows? But, uh, but, I, but I think it's all, it's all about, you know, a, a reciprocal relationship where, where we're interested in each other and, uh, and, and kind of build from there. You got any last valuable points to add to the community before we go today? Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think that as you, as you go about what you're doing, you know, do it to the best of your ability. And, and I think that uh, these days there are a lot of people that aren't doing that. And uh, so I, I think of, I'm reminded of, of, of Dwayne Johnson, the rock, who always likes to say, be the hardest worker in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of mentality you got to have in this business to, uh, to get ahead and to, uh, and to kind of achieve the, the level of success that, that you'd like to um, be willing to outwork everybody. And, and that doesn't, that doesn't mean killing yourself working 12 hours a day, but I mean, it's, it's, it's working hard, it's working smart, but it's working creatively and it's working diligently. And I think it's, it's got everything to do with having a good attitude that you bring because whether you're, whether you're facing customers, whether you're facing colleagues, managers, attitude will go a million miles for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got to work on stop overworking myself. Maybe, maybe 2025 we'll, we'll reevaluate. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> awesome, Matt. Where can everybody find you at? Uh, you can uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, but you can uh, you can find my uh, my company at um, at tieindustrial.com. 
And we've got an e-commerce site that is uh, fanicworld.com, uh, where we can uh, you can buy parts from us. And uh, we uh, we recently purchased robots.com, and uh, and we're going to be doing a lot of exciting things with that website uh, coming up this year. So uh, so looking forward to rolling that out to everybody. Awesome. Thank you for joining us today, Matt, and thank you for adding your valuable points. Malachi, thanks for having me, and uh, and and appreciate everybody's time today. Awesome.